You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode number 211. Abigail Adams. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks. But did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason, we have talked all about John Adams, the second president of the United States. We've even talked a good bit about Abigail Adams, his wife. But here we are in the First Lady series, and we're going to dig a little more into Abigail Adams and her pretty cool life. Do you think her friends called her Abby? I think she probably would have like smacked somebody who called her Abby. I don't know <laughs> for sure, but she seems like an uh, she seems like an Abigail for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we'll call her Abigail. Yeah, I think that's I think that's acceptable. So the cool thing about Abigail, and we're gonna skip ahead here just briefly, is that not only was she the wife of a president. She was also the mother of a president, which is pretty stinking cool, if you ask me. Uh, just jumping ahead, you know. So she had a little more impact than you could kind of say any other woman in presidential history, simply because she had a direct impact on two of our presidents as a close family member. So she's yeah. pretty important. Yeah. While we're jumping ahead, she was the first second lady and the second first lady, which I don't know. Seems like there should be a rap about that. Yeah. Think somebody rapped about that? They had to have. We're not the first ones to have that thought. We're probably the first ones to think it should be a rap, though. You think? Uh, I'm betting. Anyway, Abigail Adams was born in Massachusetts, and she was uh, kind of she came down the line of the Quincy family, who they were a pretty big deal as far as politics went in Massachusetts colony, and uh, she was also really distantly, but kind of closely related to Dorothy Quincy, who was married to John Hancock. So she's already got a bunch of different connections. She's politically involved. And and she's got some siblings, three others, for that matter, uh, a couple sisters and a brother as well. And really, they're very involved in the community. They're very uh, well known in the community. And like I said, she was directly from a line that was influential. But interestingly enough, she didn't really get formal schooling. Uh, she was pretty frequently sick, and that kind of prohibited her from being able to get a good education. Yeah, and so from the get-go, she realized that the lacking of formal education was probably due to the fact that she was a woman. And she did have the advantage of having her mom teaching her and her sisters how to read and write and do math and all that kind of good stuff. But she was also aided by her dad and her uncle and her grandpa. Uh, they all had these huge libraries and they were able to study English and French literature. So, you know, 
she had some help from her grandma and it's like one of the best families to be born in because both sides, (laughs) you've got both sides that are just rocking it with being educated and they're teaching her stuff. But yeah, the formal stuff, not so much, which might be a case for homeschooling. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. So we mentioned a minute ago some of the people that Abigail was related to, and uh, you know those are pretty cool. She was also third cousins with her future husband John, and uh, I guess third cousins can actually be pretty distant, depending on the circumstances. But it still kind of creeps me out when I hear third cousins. Sorry. Yeah, it it is kind of weird, but then you think, well, it produced a it <laughs> the marriage produced a president of the United States. Sure. So you know. Couldn't have been too bad. I mean, Quincy, he was quite the dude. And if people don't know who I'm referring to, Quincy, it's, you know, the Q. John the Q. Q Adams. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Abigail and John get married. They, well, let me, I, I skipped ahead there. They'd pretty much known each other since they were kids. And they uh, got to hang out a little bit later on in life uh, around the time where uh, Abigail was about 17. And Abigail's father's like, yeah, cool. Uh, John's a nice guy, no problem. And her mother, Abigail's mother, was like, you're going to marry this guy who is a lawyer out in the country? And come on, like he's never going to make it rich or big or anything like that. But eventually she was just like, well, you're going to do what you want. I know his family because I am his family. So they're good folks. And (laughs) go ahead and get married. So they get married. And Abigail's father actually presides over the marriage. And uh, yeah, they move on out to Braintree, Massachusetts after they get married. So John and Abigail, I mean, he's not really called his rotundity yet. Actually, I think we're already a few minutes into this podcast, and that's the first time we've said his rotundity. But John and Abigail, they have a few kids, and he decides to set up shop in Boston. He says, come on, fam, let's let's go. Let's move to Boston. And Abigail's like, okay, let's go. And they're there for a little while, uh, like a year, and they decide to move into an even bigger house in the middle of Boston, and his practice continues to grow. They have more children, and they decide to go out to the country for just a little bit, and then like a month later. No, it wasn't that quick, but it was fairly quick that they decide, you know what? Our family, we were made for Boston. Except <laughs> Braintree's looking pretty good, so let's move there again. Yeah, Needless just, like, to say. Couldn't make up their mind there, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm you know what? Then I lived in like five no four houses in the same neighborhood growing up. So Yeah. I remember a as a kid that was but... confusing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Jason, you moved. Oh Jason, you moved again. Cool. You got a new house to play in. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So in 1784, Abigail, her daughter, Nabby, her husband, John, and their son, Quincy, well, John Quincy, end up going over to Paris, where John was serving as a diplomat there in Paris. And Abigail was not real keen on this. She mostly hated the idea of the long voyage over the sea, which anyone can understand in the 1780s how you would hate a long voyage over the sea she also didn't really love paris and you know you can imagine that it's probably a a little bit of a busier city 
because it's a, a more established city than even Boston was at that point. Uh, it's definitely going to have a learning curve with all the language barrier and uh, probably not as much in the way of reading and writing uh, French, as you can imagine, just because of a lot of different things. But she did have the interest in French, but there's a pretty good chance that a lot of people didn't know how to correspond with her in English. Anyway, she made some friends and she ended up just, you know, finding out, hey, I really like theater. I like the opera, which are huge things in Paris at that time. And she also likes the fashion in Paris, which, come on, let's just be honest. Paris has always and will always be ahead of the United States when it comes to fashion. It's just part of how the world works. You ever wonder about that, Ben, about the whole fashion thing? Like I was... <laughs> I, I posted on Facebook today on my personal page a picture of me when I was like seven years old. Uh-huh. And there I am. My socks are pulled up all the way to my knees. Mm-hmm. They're very white. Yeah. My shorts, they're pulled up to my armpits. And of course, my collared shirt is tucked into my shorts. And I got this big old buck belt buckle. I mean, the thing is huge. I look like a cowboy. You know, and of course, it says Jason on it because <laughs> every kid who was born in the 70s was named Jason. Right. Anyway, there I am standing looking all spiffied up. And now I look at the picture and I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's a horrible way to look. And at one time that was quite fashionable. Like who determines these styles? I don't see people in Paris, you know, wearing jean shorts and a T-shirt. And one year they're tucking it in. The next year they're not. Yeah. Like, you ever wondered about that? Well, I have. And there are actually a couple of different podcast episodes. I think 99% Invisible has an episode and also maybe Radiolab has an episode on who creates fashion. Stuff You Should Know might even have one as well. And they're all really interesting. And basically, it is uh, essentially the Illuminati, uh, it seems like, <laughs> that creates fashion. Like They have these, these meetings where they decide what the fashions are going to be, and then they tell everybody, and that's the fashion. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's way more in-depth than what I just did it. Go find one of those episodes, and they do it way more justice than I just did. But it is legitimately like a big conspiracy. Huh. Well, our friend Abigail, she's she's having no part of it, so. Yeah. So, also while they're in in Paris, she ends up taking temporary guardianship over Thomas Jefferson's daughter, Polly, or Mary, depending on what point in her life you knew her at. Uh, but basically, the, you know, she really bonded with her and they got to have a, a really deep relationship. And, um, you know, Abigail treated her like her own daughter for the rest of her life. I mean, she didn't live with her the rest of her life, but uh, they really got along and, and they meant something significant to each other, which plays a part later on. In 1788, Abigail and John moved back to Quincy, Massachusetts, and she's like, okay, cool. Here's this old house. That's literally like the nickname of the house, old house. And she's like, we're going to remodel this area. We're going to make this area bigger. We're going to knock out that wall and put a ceiling fan in or something like that. And you can actually go visit that house at the Adams National Historical Park. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, we all know that our boy, Johnny, his rotundity, his rotundity, his rotundity, his rotundity, because (laughs) we can't get enough. Yeah. Yeah. It has been a while since we've talked about him. He wins the election in 1796, and he is inaugurated in March of 1797. Abigail, she is not going to the inauguration because, well, his mom is dying, and she's tending to 
her. So that's pretty noble of yeah. her. And you would think, okay, well, maybe Abigail, she's just not going to place an extravagance on being involved in the affairs of the presidency. But no, that's very not true. Because she was known for hosting a large dinner each week. She made lots of public appearances. And, of course, she provided for the entertainment for the city of Philadelphia every 4th of July. And you all remember that, right? That John Adams, he was writing to Abigail, and he's like, July 2nd, that's where we're all going to have fireworks and celebrate. <laughs> of course, now it's July 4th, but not yeah. in my neighborhood. My neighborhood's all summer long we celebrate American independence because fireworks true. all the time. Jason, I was at your house for the 4th of July, and what do you think if we'd gone out to those guys who were setting off fireworks in, in the street and been like, hey, guys, you're two days late, according to John Adams. How do you feel about that? They would have said, who's John Adams? Yeah, they probably would have actually launched a mortar directly into my sternum. <laughs> 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 Just like looked at me weird and then done that. So, <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get that hole in your tummy? <laughs> So she is the first lady, the first first lady, however you want to say it. She's the first first lady to live at the White House. And if you remember, the Capitol had only gone to Washington, D.C. in 1800, and the president's house was being constructed. And they move in in November of 1800, which is only like four months left in John Adams's turn. So, yeah, she gets to live there, but doesn't get to do much with it and kind of knows her time is limited during that time. She hates Washington, D.C., though, because think of Washington, D.C. like it is now, you know, lots of buildings and lots of stuff to do. It was not anything like that in 1800. It was woods and basically like a desert, but with woods. Uh, nothing around. There's some water nearby. Uh, not a whole lot to do, even though it's the nation's capital. So nobody would would chop and haul firewood for them. Uh, she wouldn't take her laundry outside. She would hang it up in the East Room of the White House or the President's House, as it was named at that time. And she just didn't do well health-wise. And it was probably due to some sort of climate difference between D.C. and Boston at that time. But yeah, she didn't love getting to live in Washington, D.C. Can you imagine what it would have been like? I mean, what a transitional presidency um, that she witnessed because here, George Washington, everybody loved him. And it was probably easy for Martha Washington to kind of sit back and be like, yep, this is, you know, George's gig yeah. and he's, he's doing fine. And then you have John Adams who kind of, he gets picked on quite a bit. And she along with being the second first lady, probably is the first first lady who is enjoying a considerable approval rating in comparison to her husband. Mm -hmm. I would, I'm making an assumption there because, you know, we don't have any Gallup polls or anything like that. Um, <laughs> Pew Research wasn't uh, going out and finding out how many people were engaged in uh, learning about the the political situation in the day. But that had to have been pretty trying on them, I would think, just because you're you're living in the shadows of a very popular president, and then he doesn't win 
a second term. But she's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Washington, see ya. Uh, they go back to Quincy in 1800. And she, as we all know, becomes a very staunch supporter of her son, John Q. Adams. Yeah, and she even picks up correspondence with Thomas Jefferson, uh, TJ, by the way, for all of you who don't know. Uh, that's his real name, in case you didn't know. Thomas Jefferson. And his daughter, who she had become very close with when they were in Europe, passes away. And she reaches out to Thomas Jefferson, and they kind of re- get reacquainted because he had, of course, famously politically opposed John and... It was a real bad time. So even though that happened, she still wanted to be there and kind of like comfort him uh, on the death of her good friend and his daughter. Yeah. So she very much becomes a family woman uh, where she is raising her grandchildren. And get this, Ben, I didn't realize this, but uh, their daughter, Navi, died of breast cancer in 1813. And she went on to you know, provide assistance to her family. Can you imagine just the the pain she would have been going through, their daughter, um, having breast cancer in that era? What a... Yeah. Uh, I, I just can't imagine. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, a few years later, after that, uh, Adams, in this instance, Abigail Adams, uh, passes away on October 28th of 1818 of typhoid fever. And she was buried in a crypt at the United First Parish Church in Quincy, Massachusetts. And she was two weeks shy of being 74 years old. But there's a lot of stuff that like doesn't fit neatly into a box, but Abigail Adams had some pretty well-known and well-thought-out political viewpoints. I mean, she was all about women's rights. She was one of the first people to really, first women to really fight for them getting better ed- education, for them getting uh, property rights. Now, she still thought that women should be married in order to be able to have property rights, but still, it's progressive in the sense that a lot of people thought no women should be able to have property rights. So definitely uh, had a, a large impact on that. And uh, she famously wrote to her husband, John, during the Continental Congress and said, Rem- remember the ladies. Be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors, so. Yeah, and and I like the part where, I mean, I like it in the sense that I think it's a a clever saying, remember all men would be tyrants if they could. And I mean, I think that's probably true of all humankind in in general, but it's really insightful to know that like, yeah, our inclination is to want to have our way. And she definitely spotted that. Yeah. Uh, kind of interesting too with the whole issue of slavery because while they're saying you know the people at the constitutional convention and the continental congress and and all of the activities that were going on in in that era where you know the delegates are proclaiming all men are created equal well that's all white males right she said that slavery was evil and it was a threat to America, the future of America. And in 1776, she said that um, Virginians, she doubted their passion for liberty because they depraved their fellow creatures of freedom. So very insightful yeah, for absolutely. somebody in, in the role that she was in to take 
um, such a stand. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool to have such a good record of Abigail Adams, uh, to be able to know what she was like through her letters and through letters from other people. But there are about 1,200 letters just between John and Abigail that have been found. And it's really interesting to be able to read some of the accounts of those. I've never personally read any of the actual letters, but to read some of the accounts and just the overarching themes and principles that the two of them discussed. And it seems like, you know, John was able to really put a lot of his political trust and uh, just trust her with a lot of knowledge that probably most presidents and men in general didn't share with their wives. And then the fact that she was also the mother of John Quincy Adams, uh, who was a president as well, just really, you know, I said this at the beginning, but I'll say it again now, just speaks a lot to the kind of individual she was. And we've talked in the past about the Q's upbringing and how it was very strict and how it was very, you're going to succeed. And I think that was the case, but you know, it, it seems like she probably had a direct impact on the fact that he became political and became the president as well after her husband had. So yeah, it, that's a, it's a really cool story, Jason. Yeah. For all the picking on of the Adamses that we have been known to do <laughs> with calling John Adams his rotundity and well, we don't pick on Abigail at all. And, you know, we kind of delight in the curmudgeon of, <laughs> uh, is that a word? I think so. Of uh, John Quincy Adams, especially later in life as a member of the House of Representatives. They stood for what they believed in. And uh, that was very much a conviction that slavery was wrong. And there are principles to be followed. And um, yeah, of of. All of the founding families, you think about just the consistency, the Adamses seem to have it a little more together uh, with the whole slavery issue than a lot of these other families did. So yeah. props to the Adams family. I could probably make a joke and snap my fingers and sing a theme song at this point after you said the Adams family, but I won't. Instead, I will remind people to head over to iTunes to leave us a review. Look. We don't ask for a lot. Okay, maybe we do ask for a lot. Like we send you all these episodes and we tell you all about the stuff and we research these things. So actually, I think it's you guys that are asking for a lot. So in this time, we're just asking for you to go over and leave us a simple little review. Take 60 to 90 seconds, leave us a review on iTunes. You can get there by going to electioncollege.com slash review or just pulling up your iTunes app on your computer or your phone and just leave us a short little review five stars hopefully saying how much this podcast means to you so other people in the future can read about it as well yeah and be sure to tell your friends on social media about the podcast i know a lot of people are interested especially in the first ladies and we're having a lot of fun uh, with the research that's going into this so please tell your friends who might enjoy a little first lady history that's going on here in election college. You can interact with us over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at election college. Thanks. And we will talk to you in a couple days. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.